turn in our Bibles this evening to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We hear the inspired word of God. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. And then here follow the words of our text. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this psalm sings of God's power and God's knowledge. It opens with the fact that God is all-knowing. God is the one who knows everything that's taking place in our lives. And he's able to be everywhere present. There's no place to go to hide from him. From that truth concerning God, David here, as the poet, by inspiration, concludes two things. First of all, the overthrow of the wicked. The wicked do not stand a chance. They will be overthrown. But secondly, the assurance of the believer's salvation. And that's striking. 
Now the last verses here of the psalm seem difficult to reconcile with the beginning and with even the whole of the psalm. Verse 1 stated, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Why now ask, search me, O God, and know my heart? But we would make this assessment. The first is the basis for the last. The poet desires that God search him so that he can know himself. That God search him so that his sin is exposed and revealed. And so that he can know his weakness and therefore more fully depend upon God. The psalmist looks to God's penetrating insight as the means by which he will better understand who he is. And that's the prayer that we make in anticipation of the Lord's Supper next Sunday. Now this is a prayer of tremendous courage. It's one of those petitions that God just might hear and answer. We must be careful for what we pray and be aware of the fact that we truly desire that which we make known to God in prayer. Do we want God to search us? Do we want God to expose every aspect of our being to our consciousness? It's important that we understand the implications of this prayer this evening. We would not go quickly to a psychiatrist, prince, for instance, for a complete examination. To go to a psychiatrist and say, ask me any question, I promise I'm going to ask, answer everything you ask. And that one then would ask questions, penetrating into the whole of our lives, all of the details of our lives, our interactions with others, penetrating insight about our own sin, our own failures, our own corruption, perhaps things that we desire to hide about our childhood, perhaps abuse. All these questions be asked of us. Would you submit yourself to that? Would you want that? How much more courage is required to come into the presence of the living God of heaven and earth and to ask this of God. And that's what the psalmist here directs us to do. To have God look into every aspect of my being. No natural man allows this. No natural man desires this. Beloved, this is a tremendous prayer. And this is a prayer that the child of God, by grace, is able to make before the living God. And it's the prayer that we make on the occasion of self-examination this week. It's not enough for me to examine myself. I'm biased. I call upon God, the Almighty God, to examine me and to lead me in true repentance and true sorrow for sin. And so we look at this psalm and specifically these verses under the theme the prayer for divine searching. Noting, first of all, the search that's requested here. Secondly, the divine searcher, God himself. And finally, the necessary outcome. The psalmist requests here an investigation into the depths of his existence. Search my heart. And the word is very expressive. As it's translated, for instance, in the Dutch and in other languages, it expresses the vivid nature of this verb. It's a word that gets to the bottom of. It's a word that has to do with mining, boring down, digging into. 
The poet petitions here a search that will dig into his most inward, inmost heart, and it will bring to a surface then everything that resides within. And that's the idea. That's the picture here. Literally, dig deep into my being, dig deep into my heart, and expose everything to my consciousness so that I can know myself more fully. Expose everything. Don't leave anything uncovered. Reveal all the good as well as all of the evil in all my wicked ways. Get to the bottom of my being through all of the outward parts, all of the inward parts, to the heart. Now we know the heart is the center of man's ethical nature. The Bible tells us out of the heart are all the issues of life. The heart is the deepest spiritual center in man. As the heart is, so is the man. As such, the heart then is the source, it's the fountain of man's desires, man's affections, man's will, man's longings, man's thoughts. The whole of man's life is flowing out of one's heart. And the psalmist is here, dig deep into my heart, into the very center of my life, from which everything flows, and bring all to the surface of my own consciousness, so that I know who I am. And I'm able to confess all my wrongs and all my sins. Cause me to understand and see everything that is found. Now we confess that the heart has depths that we ourselves can't even fathom. The world even tells us that there's more to man than his consciousness. Man must be subjected again to intense psychiatric evaluations if he really wants to find out what really is going on in his complex being. And that complexity is laid out in the psalm. God is the one who's made us. He's created us in a fearful, a wonderful, a marvelous way. A way that's complex. A way that involves the intricate interworking of all of the various systems of the body. But that which has to do with a soul, a spirit. And this prayer is a prayer then that says, Plumb the very depths of my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. Those thoughts are produced by the heart. And David desires that that all be tested. Now, we ask ourselves this question. Why would the child of God pray this prayer when he already confesses and believes that he's been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ? He already knows and believes that Jesus is his Savior. And he knows the victory that is his in Christ. Objectively, We rejoice in that glorious knowledge by faith. God gives us faith, and by virtue of that faith, we lay hold upon the wonder of who we are in Jesus Christ. But subjectively, we need the conscious experience of forgiveness. And that experience of forgiveness comes in the way of repentance. How can I experience repentance if I don't know my sin? If my sin is not made known to me, I'm never going to turn from it. I'm going to continue in it. Therefore, I need to know that sin, and I need to know that it is sin so that I can then face it, confront it, turn from it now, and then know, too, the experience of God's forgiving mercy and God's grace. Christ died for me. I know the wonder by which his atonement has covered every sin that I've ever committed and ever will commit. But yet the psalmist cries out this prayer as a child of God. Examine me, search me completely, 
Lay bare my being. Expose my heart of all of its corruption. Test my thoughts and see if my ways are ways of evil, ways of sin, or ways that are good. And then reveal to my consciousness what is found so that I can confess it. So that I can fall on my knees. And so that I can acknowledge my sin before God. Repenting of it, turning from it, and seeking the forgiveness that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. I need to know my weakness and I need to know my sin so that I can fight against them. So that I can know how desperate my need is for a Savior, Jesus Christ. The child of God prays this prayer because the passion and desire of the child of God is to walk the way that leads to the way everlasting. It's to walk that way of obedience and thankfulness to God. God has done marvelous wonders for me, and my desire now is to live unto him. My desire is to keep the Lord's day holy. Not just outwardly like the Pharisees, but from the heart. My desire is to guard my language so that my tongue, so that my conversation is pure and holy and wholesome and gives God glory. My desire is that I walk in a manner that reflects my thankfulness and my adoration for the God who has done such great things for me. I want to be holy even as he is holy. And I want to walk in obedience in order to show that thankfulness and that praise unto him. But there are times when I'm so blinded by the things of the world, so blinded by the circumstances around me, that I lose my objectivity. I don't even see sin right in front of me. And I make all kinds of excuses for my behavior. And I'm inclined then to continue to go down that pathway. That's the concern that's expressed in this prayer of the psalmist. I know how deceptive my sinful nature is. And I need to be examined in order to make sure that I am pursuing that way of holiness and that way of obedience. The child of God, beloved, wants to glorify God to the fullest. The child of God wants to be consistent in the whole of his or her life. And that desire comes out in this prayer. I'm not content to merely say, I'm going to do as much as is necessary from an outward perspective to look good. I know that God knows my heart. And my desire is to live unto him and to be thankful and to show that holiness and that righteousness as best I can on this side of the grave. The child of God wants to give God all the praise and all the glory that is due unto his name. And he's always seeking ways to improve that. How can I keep the Lord's day better? Have I fallen into ruts that, though I try to justify, really are sinful and selfish? How can I love my wife more diligently and faithfully than I do? Or have I fallen again into a path that I'm justifying sinful, selfish behavior? Constantly, the child of God is examining himself in light of God and God's will and desiring more fully to live in compliance to the will of his heavenly Father. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And that's the Holy Spirit's work of bringing this bold request before the throne of God. Now, beloved, you and I need to ask ourselves this question. 
Do I really want to pray this prayer? Do I really want my heart to be mine, to be bored out to the point that it's exposed before my consciousness? Do I really want to see the depths of my being and to see my selfishness and the thoughts that flow out of my heart? Do I really want God to look within me and to lay bare who and what I am? As we read the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper, we stand before this reality as the form here admonishes us according to the command of Christ and the Apostle that those who are defiled with the following sins keep themselves from the table of the Lord. And then what does it speak? It speaks of all kinds of different sins, many of which we can stand up and in pride we can say, but that's not me. I know some others maybe that are that way, but that's not me. But what about all those who are given to raise discord, sex, mutiny, and church or state? All perjured persons, all those who are disobedient to their parents and superiors, all murderers, all contentious persons, those who live in hatred and envy against their neighbor, all adulterers, whoremongers, drunkards, thieves, usurers, gamesters. Beloved, that's me. As I read this, I realize this is me. And I'm being exposed here. Now, do I really want to pray this prayer? in order that my contentious nature be more exposed, in order that the hatred and envy that I have toward others around me, even perhaps my spouse, my parents, be further exposed? Do I really want to see the depths of my heart and the thoughts that flow out of my heart? And Do I really want God to expose all that to my consciousness? Or am I busy trying to keep God out of that? Trying to justify my activity, my behavior, trying to keep certain things away from others, perhaps, and away from God. Beloved, do you know what to expect when praying this prayer? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. God will examine you, and he'll examine me. And you know what he's going to find? I know what he's going to find with regard to me. Selfishness. Filthiness. He's going to see a worldly-minded individual. Someone who's pleasure-mad. Someone who's selfish. One who's prone to lust. One who's given to covet the things of this world. One who's proud. God's going to find someone who's prone to use the Lord's Day for his own pleasure. Someone who's using marriage for his own pleasure. One who's seeking after the things of this life. One who is inclined toward being a troublemaker, stirring up strife. We pray this prayer, and God is going to expose who we are and what we are by nature. Filthy, immoral beasts, given over to the pursuit of our own sins and inclined to roll and wallow in the filth of that sin. Beloved, as we pray this prayer, and as we pray this prayer regularly, we're astounded 
We're surprised at times at the results. And we know the sorrow of heart, the humility that is exposed. The child of God desires to know the worst of himself. I need to know my sin because I desire to do battle against it. I want to fight it. I want to overcome it by the grace of God. And I want to do that which is right and that which is pleasing in his sight. And with that desire to glorify God, this prayer then rises from our hearts. Now some have never prayed a prayer like this. Some would not want to pray a prayer like this. They don't want God to search their hearts. They don't want the depths of their natures exposed before their consciousness. And they don't want to have to confess sin before God and before others. If we just think about this for a minute. I've heard it said, and perhaps you have as well, I would never want to live next door to the minister. I wouldn't want to live next door to church because then the minister's going to be driving past all the time. Church members are going to be driving past. They're going to see what's going on, and I don't want them to see everything that's going on in my life. Scared of a minister? What about God? Church people? What about the living God? He knows everything that's going on in your home. He knows what's taking place in your bedroom, in your bathrooms. He knows what's happening in your garages. Jehovah God, the searcher of hearts. We're fearful sometimes because we don't want others to know what's going on in our lives. Well, then how are you ever going to pray this prayer? Beloved, we pray for the grace by which we pray. Tragically, too often we live in such a way that we don't want our lives examined. We don't want God searching our hearts. We don't want God looking into our garage. We don't want God looking into my man cave. I don't want God looking under my bed. I don't want God looking in my closet. We act as though we can hide things from God, and he's never going to see them. You can't hide anything from God, and that's the confession here of the psalmist. Where can I go? I can't escape God's presence. I can't flee from him. No matter where I go, he's watching, he sees, he knows everything that's going on. And so, beloved, it takes self-denial to pray this prayer, a self-denial that the Holy Spirit alone gives to his elect children, a willingness to submit to the presence of Almighty God, And a desire to be in harmony with his will in every area of my life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. The Spirit works this prayer in the hearts of his children and it flows out of our lips. Who is the searcher here? The holy and righteous one is the divine searcher. David stood in the presence of Jehovah, and he experienced the awe, the majesty of Jehovah. And standing in the presence of how great God is, the marvelous character of God's being, he stands spellbound in this psalm. And that comes out. The psalmist has seen the glory of God. And standing before the wonder of God's glory and God's majesty, he sings of that now throughout this psalm. He saw a God who searches and knows all men, a God who sees all, who hears all. 
who directs everything that's taking place in the world around him. He knows that from this testing, from this judging, there's no way of escape. Before a word even escapes our lips, God knows it. Nothing can take us outside of his presence. We can try to cover our footsteps. We can try to lie. We can do everything to try to cover our sin. The searching eyes of the judge of heaven and earth sees everything. It's all exposed before him. The psalmist experienced that. And he knew it very personally. As he knew his own sin, he had been found out by the living God. Nathan the prophet had come to him and exposed his sin of murder and adultery. The psalmist experienced that penetrating, searching of the judge of heaven and earth. And something more than awe filled his soul. Something more than fear caused him to tremble. It's true that he feared God, but he feared God with a fear of love, a fear of adoration. But this is the wonder that God worked. He didn't want to run. And that's the marvelous work of God's grace. Rather than wanting to flee from this awesome being and saying, I want to run away from him, I want to try to get away from him, he wants to get closer. Beloved, the fruit of our growing and our knowledge of God and his greatness and his glory and his majesty is that we desire him more fully. We want to walk with him. We desire sweet fellowship and communion with him. We want to be closer with him. We desire that the things in our lives that are standing in the way be eradicated so that we can walk and live that life of thankful praise and adoration and sweet communion with our Lord and Savior. And so while the psalmist stood before this Holy One, he experienced that bond of friendship, that bond of fellowship with this glorious One. He knew himself to be in a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship that was nothing of himself. It was all of God, all of a wonder of God's grace. And he desired to agree with God more fully, to be on God's side, to be in harmony with the will of Jehovah God. In all his searching, all his testing, in all his judging. Really what comes out in this psalm is this, a desire, a profound yearning to be more like God. To be godlike, to be righteous even as he's righteous, to be holy even as he's holy, to live with him as in the light, as he lives in the light, wherein there is no darkness. David desires a closer union with God. And he desires that to such a degree as he lays out in the later verses here within the chapter that he be separated from everything that. God is separated from. In other words, that anything that hates God, he also hates. And that God's enemies are his enemies. And that God's qualities then also be his qualities. A closer walk with God, a more intimate communion and fellowship with the living God is the desire of the child of God. And as God works the grace of conversion, and as God works that daily conversion and that daily turning, as he strengthens us in the midst of the battle, putting off the old, putting on the new, this desire intensifies within the child of God. I want to be righteous and holy, even as he is. And I delight in him and desire to glorify and honor him. 
And so he gives himself completely to the searching, penetrating eyes that he might know himself and more fully condemn himself, be delivered from the ways of evil that are evident within him. He casts himself completely on the mercy of Jehovah God to be guided by God down a path. And what's that path? A path that is not a path of death, but a path everlasting. By nature, I would pursue the path of death. And so I pray, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Expose those paths, those ways of death, and direct me in that way everlasting. Beloved, do you sense the urgency, the passion of the psalmist here by the inspiration of God? I love Jehovah. I delight in him, and I desire to be like him in all things. And by the grace of God, beloved, that's your and that's my desire. We love the Lord, and we desire to be like unto him, to be righteous, to be holy, to pursue his will diligently and faithfully, knowing that he alone is able to accomplish that wonder. He alone is able to so work in my heart and in my soul to give me that sensitivity to sin. He alone is able to strengthen me to do battle against temptation. And so by God's grace, with that desire, I look to him with this prayer. The believer voluntarily places himself on trial before the standard of all righteousness, the law of God. He cries out to the Holy One, compare me, compare my life to thy commandments. And what is the essence of the law? Love God and love the neighbor. Compare every aspect of my life with that command. And we know God's not satisfied with anything less than perfect obedience. God demands, love me. How? With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God demands everything of us. God is too holy, too pure of eyes to behold iniquity. And now the psalmist, knowing that God, cries out to that God and says, Search me. Try me. Know my thoughts. Evaluate me so that I can know myself even as I am known in light of God's will and God's judgments. Now the child of God already does that. The child of God examines himself in light of God's law. He realizes that that trial, however, is very imperfect. Again, the devil can get a hold of us, even as he got a hold of David. And he kept David, in a sense, captive for a whole year. David seemingly tried to justify his adultery, his murder, not expressing sorrow for sin. The child of God knows that in the depths of my heart, in my sinful nature, there are wicked ways that I'm not even conscious of. There are sins that I'm not aware of. There are things that need to be exposed. And I realize that my trial of myself, therefore, is rather imperfect. I'm not able to get at those things because my perspective is clouded. And because of sin, I'm a bit blinded in that regard yet. And so we implore the Most High, for light, for a more thorough searching of the heart, for a clearer, more penetrating exposure of those hidden sins within. A bold prayer, but a prayer of confidence, of faith in Jesus Christ. 
Except for Christ, beloved, this supplication would be impossible. But in Christ, and by the power of his Spirit, this prayer is possible. God is a consuming fire. For the natural man to call upon God with this petition would ultimately be a prayer, send fire from heaven and destroy me. Send me to hell. The child of God makes this prayer in connection with Christ and the wonder that my sins have been paid for through his shed blood. In Christ, I'm confident that I will not be cast into condemnation. He took upon himself the burden that I deserve. He offered the perfect sacrifice that I could never offer. And therefore, he too cried to God in the depths of desolation. Search me, O God, try me, and know my thoughts and my heart, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Christ cried that out as he offered up that perfect sacrifice for the sins of all his people. And God answered him. God answered him with his resurrection. He was raised from the dead. There was no sinful way found in him. He was justified before God. And he was raised for our justification that we too might know that wonder that our sins are forgiven. And there is therefore now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He was exalted to the right hand of God. He was given the Spirit, and he pours out that Spirit to his children. And in that Spirit, we have the confidence to pray, Search me, O God. In that Spirit, we pray this prayer, knowing God will not cast me off. He will not utterly destroy me. But he will work in me to know my sin, to confess it, to repent, and to walk humbly before him. This is not a prayer to be cast off, but it's a prayer to be drawn closer. And that, beloved, will be the necessary outcome by God's grace. Sin and evil will be discovered. Sin and evil will be exposed before our consciousness. God will answer us. Now, God's not going to answer us in the form of an answer coming from heaven. But God will call us out through the preaching. He will hold a mirror before us as we spend time in his word. As we evaluate our walk, our conduct, our attitude, our ambitions, as we stand before the preaching of the word, the law, we will see ourselves increasingly as God sees us. Our sins, our weaknesses exposed. I've been breaking the Sabbath in this area, in that area. I need to do better with my family and encouraging my children to be more diligent in keeping the Lord's Day holy. I've been guilty of adultery. I've been guilty of stealing from my employer. I'm not working as diligently as I ought. I'm ashamed because I lie. And I've been deceptive in my conduct. God reveals more and more my sinfulness, my unworthiness, in order that I do battle against it and that I cry out to him for the strength and grace necessary. He may say to me, he may say to you, you're hungering, you're thirsting after the things of this world. You're as that foolish one who's building bigger barns, pursuing the things of this world. That's all going to perish. Set your heart on the things of God's kingdom. Repent of your worldly mindedness. He may come to us and say, I see how you treat your wife. I see how you treat your husband. I see how you treat your children. Children, I see how you treat your parents. I see how you treat your relatives. And the problem is not with them. It's with you. 
And you need to examine your heart. And you need to focus on that beam that's in your eye. And you need to repent of that. He may say to me, he may say to you, you've got a nice outward appearance. Others respect you. But I see what's going on within. There's filth there. You're an adulterer. Repent. Wash your detestable robes in the blood of Jesus Christ. Turn away from that pornography. Turn away from the filth of the world. Repent and walk in holiness. He may say, you're cruel. You're filled with hatred against me and against my brethren. And therefore, you need to repent. You think evil. You practice evil. You need to turn away from that evil. And you need to flee to Christ who loved you even unto death. He may say, you're trying to make an idol of me. You're trying to embrace a gospel that is no gospel. In your pride, you're trying to think you can save yourself. You need to turn away from that gospel of man. And you need to look to me and to the power of my grace and the wonder of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Beloved, he may expose far more than you or I would ever imagine. He will shame you, and he will shame me worse than any policeman any counselor, any psychiatrist ever could do. And it's going to involve pain. It's going to involve sorrow to pray this prayer. It involves self-denial. I need to deny myself. And you and I will suffer the mortification of the old man. That old man needs to be put off. It needs to be killed. And that's painful. It's going to hurt. But let it hurt. It's better to be operated on by God than to rot away in the filth of sin. It's better that we be caught in our sins and our sins exposed in order that we might repent than that we're allowed to continue unrepentantly in those sins. We know how important it is, if we're diagnosed with cancer, to get the cancer out of our bodies. If they do surgery and they get most of it and the doctor comes afterwards, I think I got most of it. You're not going to be satisfied. You're going to say, we can't just be content with most of it. We got to get it all out. Otherwise, it's going to continue to spread. How much more spiritually, beloved? That sin must be isolated. It must be confessed. It needs to be removed. And the believer confesses it is sweet. It is good to be exposed and corrected by the living God. The ways of wickedness are painful. They're not ways of joy. They're not ways of happiness. They're grievous and sorrowful ways. The wicked have their sweet thrill, but it's a fang. It's like a fang that's laden with poison that gets into them, and as a deadly snake, it causes them to become hardened, more and more in sin and ultimately kills them. What does sin do to us? It cuts us away from Christ. It cuts us away from the body of Christ. It cuts us away from our parents, our loved ones, friends. It directs us down a path that leads to hell. But the word of God is sweet. It's sweeter than honey. The word of God is sweet. It's that which exposes us, which is painful, but it exposes us with the mercies of God, with the compassions that are in Jesus Christ. 
It's sweet to be exposed and corrected by Jehovah God on this side of judgment. Because that word leads to forgiveness. The attaining of which is sweet and beautiful. God works repentance. God works the grace by which I see that wicked way. And I'm now led in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's the way that leads to heaven. In our foolishness and in our sinfulness, we give ourselves over to the way that leads to hell. Jehovah God, in his mercy and in his grace, is constantly using trials, afflictions, using discipline, using circumstances in our lives to turn us and to bring us to see the way everlasting. The way everlasting is the way to the heart of the eternal God. It's the way of fellowship and communion that is everlasting. It's joy, it's harmony with Jehovah God. Essentially, it's the way of Christ. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Broken, humbled to the dust, we confess nothing of myself I bring, only to the cross I cling. The way through his blood The way through tears leads to harmony, fellowship, communion with the Father. This is the joy of the Christian life. God will not allow his children to remain impenitent in sin. But as the searcher of hearts, in his mercy and in his grace, he works in us this prayer not only, but then he works in us also the blessed fruit. And he gives us to know and to believe the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. This is what David longed for. To know the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. To know the peace that nothing can separate me from the living God. And that I know that Jehovah God is with me. And that he's faithful. Teach me to see my need for Christ. And to look to Christ more fully for my righteousness and for my deliverance. To forsake myself and to cling to him alone. And beloved, God will work that answer in our hearts so that we will see the need to come to his table next week. To come with joy, confessing that union, that communion that is so precious to us. And confessing the wonder by which we believe that Jehovah God, by his spirit, is leading and guiding us more fully into the enjoyment of that union. That we might know it now, but also enjoy it to all eternity. We come with joy and with thanksgiving, confessing our need for the cross. Confessing the wonder of that sacrifice once offered on my behalf. And laying hold upon the wondrous mercy of our gracious God. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for thy grace and for thy mercy in Jesus Christ. That thou wilt not deal with us as we deserve, but in mercy thou wilt expose our sin, work repentance, and bring us to know the glorious forgiveness and joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. Grant, Lord, that as we walk down life's pathway, we might ever know and experience that mortifying of the old, that quickening of the new, never satisfied, Until that day, when in righteousness at last, we will be brought into the fullness of thy presence. Amen.